I don't know that there's any other industry that has changed as dramatically as it appears marketing has in the last especially 10 years. I'm Salisa Steele. I'm Jeff Cobb, and this is the Leading Learning Podcast. Marketing has arguably undergone more change in the last decade than any other field, which means learning businesses have to stay on top of their marketing game to make sure they reach the right learners and bring in the critical revenue that keeps them humming along. Greg Stewart is a marketing revolutionary and passionate about fixing marketing, where, for far too long, marketers have taken action based more on gut instinct than data. Greg currently serves as CEO of MMA Global, an international trade association for marketers focused on architecting the future of marketing. Having spent over three decades in marketing, Greg has contributed majorly to the transformation of marketing and media. He has served as CMO, CRO, or CEO at companies across the media landscape, and he turned around the Interactive Advertising Bureau when he was CEO there. Greg also co-authored the hugely influential book, What Sticks?, why Most Advertising Fails and How to Guarantee Yours Succeeds, published in 2013. In this episode, number 387, Salisa talks with Greg about the shift from brand-based marketing to a focus on customer experience, the lack of clarity about what marketers do and the difficulty that creates in setting a strategy, the only three go-to-market strategies, multi-touch attribution, optimizing budget allocation, personalization, and the potential impact of generative AI on marketing. Greg's experience draws on his career working with CMOs of major brands, but his analysis and perspective can be useful for learning businesses of all sizes, even those without multi-million dollar marketing budgets. Indeed, maybe learning businesses with smaller marketing budgets need to be even more thoughtful and measured about how they spend. Salisa and Greg spoke in November, 2023. You have a long and storied career in marketing. You're the CEO of MMA Global Now. You were CEO of the Interactive Advertising Bureau. You co-wrote What Sticks, which is a, a great book in the marketing field. So just kind of given your depth and breadth of experience in marketing, what's kind of one of the most salient changes that you've seen during your career or some of the most salient changes if you don't want to limit it to just one? I appreciate that you said storied rather than sorted uh, history <laughs> with marketing. I appreciate that. We'd always get that as marketers. I mean, listen, he, here's the thing. There was always this uncomfortability that I had in the role that I was playing, either a CMO or in some role in marketing. And I knew there was an understanding that I didn't fully know what I was doing. And so the whole focus of this thing is to really set out and fix market, to have a better understanding of it. And so what we're often faced with doing is either research or thought leadership, or it can be sort of a, a series of other guides or things to sort of help marketers better understand how to do what they're doing sort of much better. And the reason for that is because I don't think, this is back to your question, right? I don't know that there's any other industry that has changed as dramatically as it appears marketing has in the last, especially 10 years. Now, you could go back as far as the internet kind of set the thing off, but then we brought a mobile. 
all the channels are different, all the connections, consumers are different. The basic understanding of how marketing works is different. The technical nature of this business become, I just, I honestly, I'm not sure if any other industries is so dramatically changed. Energy a little bit, healthcare is certainly a dramatic switch change, but I don't know any other beyond those. And so somebody's got to lead those charges. That's what we've really set out to do. And I mean, you can look at it from, oh my God. I mean, there's just, there's no limitation to the change. In fact, I'll give you a really fun one. Most CMOs today got to the job in their ability to do brand marketing, to be able to do that soft skill of how to position a business in the minds of consumers, a critically important role, no question about it. The challenge is that I know from the research we've done that the leading marketing strategy today is customer experience, which requires obviously a strong understanding of data, a strong understanding of customer journeys, a series of of, of multiple channels, completely new MarTech stacks in order to run those businesses. And there's very few marketers that are prepared to make that transition. And that's really where an MMA trade association nonprofit steps in to try to help an industry sort of transition itself. So I don't know. I'd ask you what hasn't changed, (laughs) truthfully. All right. Well, and you began to get into it there in your response, but I know that you have for a long time advocated evidence-based, data-backed approaches to marketing. And you've been in favor of sort of let's call marketing less magic. Let's look at the science behind it and what's actually effective and I think given the huge budgets that can get put against marketing, it makes a ton of sense to take this evidence-based approach. So given the great sense that makes, what do you see as the holdups to the extent that you do think there are still holdups around really adopting more of an evidence-based approach to marketing? Okay. Well, there's a lot of layers to that question. So first off, I think that boards and CEOs don't firmly understand what marketers do. I think the marketers are somewhat to blame. We need to be more consistent and or structured to help them, help the sort of leadership of the company help make better decisions. And so the challenge that you run into a little bit is that because they're not sort of in co-creation of what that marketing strategy should be or where they should be oriented, I just, I don't think they incentivize properly. I don't think that, and I'll give you an example. I had a meeting about six years ago. We were kicking off some work we've now done around marketing org. And I had some of the world's biggest CMOs. At the time, it was the CMO of General Motors, T-Mobile, Chobani was in the room, Duncan Brands was in the room, Allstate, big-time CMOs. And we asked them a throwaway question. It was meant to be a 10-minute warm-up question to get to another topic. It was an hour conversation. And we said, what's the role of marketing? What's the role of CMO? So Lisa, we never got off that first question. And after an hour, we realized that nobody in the room agreed the role of marketing. That's a mess. How, how can you expect to sort of get anybody outside of marketing to understand if we're not clear and consistent, at least in some minimal sense of frameworks? There could be differences. but And so that was kind of the first indication to me that there was as big a problem as there is and that we're just not clear. Now, I'm going to answer your question more foundationally, though, I think, if you ask me sort of what are some of the challenges around it, is I think that there are definitely a lot of skill set and upskilling kind of issues that need to go on. I mean, as I said, we've got to be completely, we have to have to have a completely different skill set we had before. It needs to be usually more data-driven, more customer journey-driven, more, more customer experience-driven, more like the, what are you doing in those individual experiences? Google calls it the zero moments of truth. Like, what do you do at each moment of opportunity with a consumer, right? We just don't have that. 
And so you've got all these skill sets. How are they going to sort of transition so we're not really prepared? I think that where the companies go wrong is that because we've not been clear about the role of marketing, they don't incentivize marketers properly in the right way. I don't think that the incentives are right. My guess is that bonuses and bonus structures are off because that's what should drive the proper behavior alignment to the corporate goals. And I think markers have been reticent to accept growth as sort of the main focus of what they should do, which is what the answer should be. And then they should be measured and incentivized and paid against that growth. And they were just, they're not. And so as a result of that, they end up with convoluted goals and they don't really change in the way that I, I that we think they need to as aggressively as they need to. So you gave that example of that meeting where no one in the room could agree what the role of marketing is. How do you explain the role of marketing? What's okay. your view on that? So by the way, we have done a bunch of real work with a team of professors across the country to to work specifically on that area. The first thing we need to do is we had to define what are the different go-to-market strategies. There are three of them. There are only three of them, everybody. One is brand, the positioning in the mind of the consumer. Second one, as I mentioned, is obviously customer experience, which is the stronger of the ones against financial performance today for the companies we see executing against that. How do you manage the entire journey? How do you make the acquisition and satisfaction? How do you make the acquisition of the customer, the acquisition of the product for the consumer? It really is a better way to say that. And to make that whole journey smoother, easier, and more simpler. How do we just make consumers less frustrated with buying things from people and companies, okay? Which is, I say that with the right tone there. And the third one's around direct-to-consumer. There are a lot of businesses that are just very transaction-oriented, and that can be successful. And you can have exactly the same product, exactly. Like the best one is Harry's Razors and Gillette Razors, right? They're exactly the same product. And maybe they wouldn't like me to say that, but they're, they're the same damn product. But their go-to-market strategy is completely different. One's very transactionally driven subscription model. The other one's in-store retail, more brand-driven. Both are fine. You need to choose one and go down it. And now you can have combinations. You could be brand and customer experience. I don't think you can be all three because listen, strategy is about making choices, what to do and what not to do. And so at some point, somebody has got to make a decision, but you need to have alignment. The challenge too with this, and I'm going to get a little off topic here from your question, but just because I think you're going to go there next is that the issue is then did they hire the right market, the right CMO, the right team to do that, to execute that particular strategy. So the CEO and the board have to make the decision, have to co-create on sort of what strategy they have, go to market, obviously, but the CMO then has got to be the right person to actually execute that. And so the work we've done around marketing org now, not to get too off point here, I'll come back to you, but we've actually now created an actual, in this case, we created a product that will measure capability fit to strategy. And we happen to know for a fact that when fit is aligned to strategy, that sales go up. Marketing org design affects the actual revenue generation of the company. That's a blow your mind. That's not existed anywhere that I've ever heard of for any department within a company. But we've now figured that out. At Tagoras, we're experts in the global business of lifelong learning. And we use our expertise to help clients better understand their markets, connect with new customers, make the right investment decisions, and grow their learning businesses. We achieve these goals through expert market assessment, strategy formulation, and platform selection services. If you're looking for a partner to help your learning business achieve greater reach, revenue, and impact, learn more at tagoras.com services. You mentioned it around perhaps when you're talking about the incentivization structure maybe being off and so that marketers aren't necessarily really being measured against what matters. And so 
I was wondering when I was sort of thinking about this idea of really taking an evidence-based approach to marketing, I mean, that requires data. And so then I'm wondering if the bigger issue is a lack of data, like organizations either aren't collecting it, or is it a bigger issue around sort of interpretation or use of that data? Like they have it, they just don't really know how to use it effectively. Do you have any thoughts there on kind of what the issue with data might be? Yeah, evidence is really marketing measurement. Do they have the right measurement? So the other challenge you have, when you don't have financial incentives to make sure that you're boosting the productivity of marketing, which is a lack of evidence orientation to the world would be, or the lack of measurement, you also do have to understand the basics understanding of both measurement and core marketing growth frameworks. So we've done research and have validated that, first off, most marketers are not familiar with the core growth frameworks, of which there are three primarily in the world. We happen to have created a fourth because one of those three was wrong. So that's part of the issue is that we don't understand the basics about how real marketing works. Marketers have a tendency to make shit up. They're generally pretty articulate in their speaking. And so they tend to create a sense of believability. I don't think we're always right. So you got to have the right frameworks. But then once you've got the right framework that you understand where you're aiming for, then you're right. You need to create the right measurement. But measurement's complicated. It's technical. It's not in line with the old thinking of brand-oriented marketing. And so most don't have good measurement. And listen, by the way, the answer is two things. It's multi-touch attribution and it's incrementality. Those are the answers. I happen to be the co-founder, although I was kind of the side part. I was the, I was the rich patron that made multi-touch attribution happen. The guy who actually did that was a guy named Rex Briggs who actually created that methodology. But if you don't have that in-house today, if you're not using multi-touch attribution, then I almost guarantee your incentives are probably not aligned to the growth of the company. So you understand the problem is kind of worse than what the question you're asking, <laughs> right? Deeper, it's like, yeah. Yeah, it's a deeper question. It's like, it's not that they maybe resist evidence-based, or then I'd probably use the word science-based or data-based, you know, that there's is driven by numbers. And that, and by the way, I want to be really clear. That's not to take away from the magic. I have seen in my career the magic of getting messaging creative position right. It's it's crazy when it works, when you can get it. I, a firm believer you can never invest enough in to get the message in a creative right. Never invest enough. But after that, you spend a lot of money trying to communicate with consumers and how you do that, how you allocate that, and then how you measure that effectiveness and iterate upon that, I think is understood by many, but not nearly enough. All right. So go a little bit deeper on the multi-touch attribution, maybe just mm -hmm. for folks who aren't yeah. familiar with that or, or want to have a a beginning understanding of what that means and looks yeah, like. Yeah, no, I'm constantly horrified when people in marketing don't understand uh, what that is. So I'll just the stats are today that 52% of marketers, large-scale enterprise marketers, the people that we, we work with, have multi-touch attribution systems in-house, measurement tools to be able to do that kind of thing. So 52% is pretty low when that was created 20 years ago. We did that back. That was That's what led to the book. The book is really the story of Rex and I helping the industry to completely change marketing forever. Okay, what's, the book was called What Sticks. Okay. So what multi-touch attribution is, the other one that a lot of people use is media mix modeling. That's top-down, MTA is bottoms-up. What in essence MTA is doing, this is the best explanation I've You're basically aggregating an individual's media habits, what ads they're exposed to, the best of your ability, you're measuring what ads they're exposed to, and you're tying that either to their change in brand, their ability to talk about the brand awareness, kind of not recall, but brand awareness, or actual sales data. And when you combine those at the individual level, then you're able to aggregate that up 
to get a view of what channels and or messages are really having the most impact on consumers. And what you're really looking for, this is the most powerful thing that I've seen. What you're looking for is that you've got the right mix of media channels, marketing channels to consumers because there's an optimization across that based on different people's habits of watching media. You can't say generally, you have to measure it. You wouldn't be able to sort of guess at that kind of stuff. But you're also looking for pots of gold in there, I like to say, or veins of gold is a better choice of words. And what that means is that you're looking for where there's a market, or you're kind of arbitraging the market sometimes. So let me, let me give a very specific example of that. So we did a study for Wendy's a number of years ago, and the guy who was running that, Brendan Roten, was amazing. He was basically, he had figured out that he had made a decision that the targeting consumers who both like coupons and Wendy's at the time was doing kind of an offer-oriented kind of pitch to the marketplace, buy one, get two free, or some, buy two, get free, one free. What, I don't even remember, it doesn't matter, right? But it was very promotional. He was also targeting people who drove by Wendy's on a regular basis. Now, at some level, that would be obvious. Of course you should do that. But you need to know how valuable that is. So here's the thing. Each one of those two segments, each one of those two ability to target those people, was worth 5x anything else in the plan. It produced five times the sales of anything else in the plan. Now, what made that really powerful is that he was able to spend, or Wendy's was able to spend 5% of the total budget against each one of those. So 10% of that budget was worth 5x what anything else is. That's what drove the sales of that company. But if you're not able to identify that particular vein of gold and know exactly how invest. I mean, you could have guessed that those were valuable. And sure, you should have spent a couple, you should have put a couple of percentage points of the total budget against it. Any idiot would be able to figure it out. But to know that the optimized level was near 5%, very hard to do. And nobody probably would have made that kind of commitment at that level. And yet that was transformational in the business. You got to know where the real power in this thing is. And that requires science. And as you point out, evidence, you got to know it. Okay. So you brought up what sticks when you were talking about yep. that multi-touch attribution. And I know that one of the themes that comes through really clearly in what sticks is just this foundational need to get the customer's motivation right. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And so I'm just thinking, are there any sort of generic sort of tips that you can offer to listeners around sort of what it actually looks like to get those customer motivations right? Like sort of tactics they can take or, or ways to sort of validate that they aren't just making an assumption about what learning their customers need mm -hmm. to do, for example. So, boy, that's a sort of complicated question. So, listen, I don't know that motivation is the only thing, but it was an important element that we didn't see. I don't know. There were so many things we saw that we got wrong, that markers got wrong in doing that work. So, where that work came from is that I was running at the time the Interactive Advertising Bureau, which was focused on online advertising and trying to promote and develop online advertising as an industry. At that point, it was an $8 billion category. Today, it's, I don't know, $100 billion, whatever it is, big, $200 billion maybe. And so I was trying to figure out marketers to find a way for marketers to understand what the value of internet was. And MMM didn't do it. Other measurement techniques didn't do it. And that's why Rex Briggs then showed me this the technique he was developing at the time called multi-touch attribution and sort of got us down that path. We did in total about two dozen what ultimately were public studies with major markers. We spent about five to seven million dollars doing those studies for markers to understand what was the really we were I was looking to understand what percentage of budget should be allocated to internet in the marketing mix. That was the idea. It was before mobile. 
but what we found, it's the same thing I've just, it's kind of, I'm sort of trying to reflect on this. It's the same thing I'm saying now. It's probably the reason I'm doing the MMA is that we kind of started to understand markers didn't, they were, they, were, they were just making too much stuff up. It just, it may have sounded good, but it, it wasn't right. It, we were able to prove it to the research that it was factually wrong. And motivation was one of the many elements that get wrong. That was basic core strategy. And so that's even, I mean, I was earlier talking about sort of all the allocation of channels. I was treating it as an investment orientation portfolio kind of thing. But you're right. you got to make sure that strategy is right. And if you don't do that, and we'd run into situations like we'd go to, you know, you'd kind of see it show up in the ad testing. And I remember we'd go to marketers and say, well, are you testing your ads? And they go, well, no. And I remember one marketer, I won't name names on this one. They said, well, we may have named them in the book, but I forget. But um, they said, well, well, why aren't you why aren't you testing your ads? Why aren't you pre-testing the ads before you start spending tens of millions of dollars? And they said, well, we, we don't have any time. We said, well, well, walk us through your process. Well, here's what they were doing for internet ads. They were getting nine people in the company to sign off on the ad. So approve the ad before it went public. And we said, do any of those people have any background in online advertising? They said, well, no. Well, then how would they evaluate the ad? They don't know what the hell they're looking at. Second thing was you said, have you shown them the actual strategy, the underlying strategy? So they're evaluating the ad against the actual strategy. Because it doesn't matter either what the ad, you, you got to make sure you're aiming for this kind of a variation of motivation. Like, do that. And they were saying no. So well, why don't you stop asking those nine people and just go pretest the ads? Like that's going to tell you more about its effect and how it's going to work. And if that motivation is both appreciated, understood by consumers. And then the second part, have you communicated it properly to them? Then you got to get to the optimization thing. So yeah, I don't know. It, was, it feels like every time I turn around, every time we kick over a rock, we just find more, more mess, you know, that stuff just isn't totally understood. And then let's look at what's about to happen. We're about to enter the age of, of AI. So the foundation's not good. And we're about to bring a whole new technology orientation to the world. I don't know. It concerns me. Let's talk a little bit then about AI, because I know that that's a, a focus. That's where you're giving some time and attention. And so I'm, I guess let's just sort of ask a big picture question. Of what do you see as the role of AI in, in marketing? And maybe what should we be thinking about as we're thinking about marketing our products and services, given what AI is now doing to our world? So I think most people that I speak to broadly in business believe that sales and marketing will be the two areas or a singular area, they're somewhat similar, that will be most affected by AI. I don't know if that's fact, but I feel like I've heard that enough that we'll go with wisdom of the crowd for the moment. And I do think that marketing is a grossly inefficient business. We do way too much by hand. Uh, we don't have good measurement. I mean, if we had good quality measurement, then machines at some level could run big portions of it. But when you say only 52% of MTA, then clearly we don't. And MTA is the only way you can do sort of real-time near, you know, immediate measurement. MMM is more long-term. It's a cellular story. It doesn't matter here. I talked to a big time CMO, one of the CMOs on my board the other day, and I was asking her, we were going through a conversation, I asked her what she thinks the business, what she thinks marketers need. Well, here, I better get, the context is I have a podcast now called Building Better CMOs. It's really asking marketers, what do you think we don't get right and what do you think we should do to get it right? Because that's my job as the head of a trade association. I'm supposed to go fix stuff, right? 
And so I said, you know, what is, he said, I don't think that marketers fully understand the complexity of operations today for market. And I go explain. She goes, I have a campaign going that has 5,000 creative assets. That's not a magic job. That's not a magic job. That's an operations job. She's right. So how do we know, do we have the systems, the processes, the technology in order to do that? So that's already how complex it is. My guess with AI, we really will, we really do finally have the opportunity to start serving more personalized messages to consumers to really be relevant, to stop, frankly, annoying the shit out of consumers. Because that's what the business has been. The business to the dawn, I mean, print didn't do this. TV totally did this, right? It was just like, it was just bludgeoning consumers with ads. And they were untargeted, irrelevant. It was, in essence, teaching consumers to ignore ads. It's why, it's why, People don't, advertising is not a bad business. It can be a very helpful business. It's meant to be helpful. It's just information. But we, we're not respectful of people's time sometimes in the way that we operate. I mean, it's getting so much better. CTV is going to change all that. And the digitalization of the business is making it better. Certainly internet's a little bit better. But hopefully AI allows us to maybe both create more value for companies especially, but also kind of better respect consumers. And I think that's really kind of the big opportunity that gets me excited for us to lean into it. You asked me though a question. So where's the opportunity in AI? I don't have good framework on that yet. I don't have what I think is validated or proven. My sense is and where I'm kind of leaning towards, there's two things. One is that it's efficient. It's creation of efficiency. It's solving some of these operational complexities at some level would be good. But I think also too, that there's an opportunity to really improve the productivity, the value of marketing, the real intensity of it, a level we've never seen. And I'm not saying that just like I'm making that up. We have been running a series of studies now. We're basically doing, it's called Consortium for AI Personalization. And what we're doing is we're figuring out how to personalize ads in a limited way, not a full-on generative AI, but how we personalize ads in a limited way using simply contextual signal. In other words, I don't have to know who somebody is. I don't have to have a database on people. I could just use contextual. And the performance gains on that, and listen, by the way, I have nothing to sell here. I'm, I'm just a trade associate integrator. I don't have a product. I couldn't offer you anything. I wouldn't run this for you. That's not what I do. I'm just trying to find truth and facts. The performance gains of personalizing ads appears to be somewhere around two to three X. I'd ask you for your business. I mean, I know for mine, if you came to me as a CEO of this organization, which I am, and you said, I can improve 10% of your business two to three X. I would clear my calendar for the rest of the week. I would stop production of everything else we were doing. We were focused just on that. But Celeste, you know what's not really bad? Not every marketer I know is working against that. WTF. Really, that's insane. It goes back to your point about evidence and measurement. And I think too, if I kind of go back to the thrust of the podcast here, right? Like, like wh where's our learning? Why do marketers think that we have to have all the answers? Why don't we operate from a standpoint of like, okay, how do I better understand? How do I evolve? How do I accept the fact that maybe I'm not great at what I do, which is a hard thing for anybody to digest. I get that. But what are you really doing to grow and be better and to really learn against the future? That's why I'm kind of excited. I think we have that opportunity. It'll be interesting whether the industry goes far enough to do it. So back to the earlier question about motivation and then thinking about what you just said around personalization and AI there. I mean, do you, do you think that AI is going to play a role in helping us get that customer motivation right? Or that's still sort of something foundational that we have to then sort of bring to our use of AI? 
I mean, listen, there's always got to be position of a product in some common sort of consensus way, right? We can't make the product completely different for everybody. I think that would just create confusion in the world. But I do think that people make different decisions for different reasons. And I don't know all your exposure to marketing, but you know, for years, we based it on demographics. We would say we're buying men or women 18 to 49 or something. I mean, there's nothing the same about men or women 18 to 49. I mean, it's just ridiculous we did demographics. I, that always looked stupid to me, but it was the best we could do. But I do think with AI, listen, by the way, I'll just I'll give you an example. So in the study, this one study we did for Kroger's, I can name the name on that because they've been public about it. They got plus 259% over their best efforts, their best thinking, the best performing orientation they had, AI was able to improve plus 259%. That's plus three to four X. Astonishing. Crazy. And it was just, it wasn't personalizing motivation. It was really just personalizing the visuals on the thing, which somehow appealed to people differently. I, we don't know enough at this point to know why. And maybe my researcher would know, but I, well, I'm not, I've not heard. And so you're right. When we start to tweak the motivation a little bit to kind of get it to satisfying the better of somebody's individual needs, I can only imagine it could just go up from here. So pretty powerful. You know, it, it, listen, I want to throw one more thing though here. Just you didn't ask this, but I think it's important to kind of an earlier one just to connect the dots here. Here's what makes AI though, I think a really big deal. Tell me one thing in a business, one thing that you can work against that dramatically improves the performance of the business. As I've said, two to maybe as high as even almost 4X, 300% would be 4X, right? Tell me anything you can do to do that that then costs less doesn't happen. I don't think so. I'm not, I mean, I'll, I'll, I'd love for your listeners or somebody to feedback to me and give me other examples. That'd be great. But I've not seen anything that can boost productivity and value creation that aggressively and also lower the cost and become more efficient. That's why I think AI is a big deal. We do always like to ask guests who come on the Leading Learning Podcast about their own lifelong learning. So when you think about how you continue to grow professionally, personally too, if you want, what are some of the approaches or sources or, or ways that you think about your own lifelong learning? I heard somebody say not too long ago that they said, life is just about work and relationships. And by the way, work is just about relationships. I thought that was a very funny way to put it. And so I think it's the, I think that the learning, do I learn operationally about how the business works? Yes. Do I need to understand more about financial? Sure. Should I constantly be educating myself? Absolutely. I'm very lucky in the roles I have. I get to talk to some of the biggest business leaders in the world. I mean, I don't just have the big companies in my industry. I have the biggest companies in the world on my board at extremely senior levels. Facebook or Meta, I should say, Google, Snap. I mean, everybody sits there with us along with the CMOs of AT&T and Major League Baseball and Visa and Verizon and just the list goes on and on and on of major marketers that are working, GM, a bunch of them that are working with us, right? So that that's fortunate for me to get to learn from those people I think are, are amazing, those relationships and so on. I think though, if I was to give sort of, um, I might be twisting your question a little bit. I mean, if lear learning is about trying to be better, right, at some level. I think the more important thing I've done is that I have had a coach for over 30 years. It's teaching me how to have relationships and how to have conversations and to appropriate handle things. And in fact, so I've had a personal coach for 30 years, most important person in my life, while now running the MMA, which has been a little over 10 years, 
for that period, I have had a psychologist on retainer at this company. And, you know, listen, he's PhD, Harvard, like serious business. This is the real deal, this guy. And he is available to me and the other members of the team to help figure out. And, you know, listen, I'm using them often to say, well, am I looking at this in the right way? Is there pathology that I have that is getting in the way of me hearing the situation or understanding the situation or making the right right decision around it? It's what you would ask a coach to do. Do I twist a little this way to run faster? Do I jump higher by springing? You know, like that's what you ask a coach to do. I block the tackle, you know, like that's what a coach is supposed to do to say, to help you tweak the systems to get a little bit more right. You still can lose the game, but it's about getting a little bit better all the time. And I, I think if you're serious about your career, if you're really out there to just like I had to just have fun trying to be the best I can do in the short life that I have, you got to have people there that can really help you do that. Now, sometimes you could do it through mentors. It's a different relationship, though, I think, you know, a little bit. I, you know, mentors are good and I applaud and appreciate and I've had a series of people have been really helpful to me in my career. But I think that longstanding expertise apply to becoming a little bit better every day. Yeah, I think everybody would kind of know at some level Tiger Woods story, right? I mean, I'm not an expert. I certainly don't know Tiger. But, you know, like, I mean, like he's been through a series of injuries. He had to change his game. He had to shift a game. The game was different. He played it. The game's different at this age. The game is different than the game he could play before. It's like all those little tweaks are all, to me, I think the really, the, the point I'm getting to is that I think that's the important learning you need to have. I do think you got to pick up capabilities and you got to be smart. And you got to learn PowerPoint, Excel. And you got to know all that stuff. Like, and you want to be really good at those things, right? You want to be good at the tools of your job. And you understand operationally and you want to get experience in how to make those decisions. But I, I think it's that idea of, of having somebody that can help you make good decisions, better decisions, remove the pathology from your decisions. The stuff that's dysfunctional that gets in the way of you making good decisions or having good relationships is so critically important to me. For over three decades, Greg Stewart has contributed majorly to the transformation of marketing and media. Greg Stewart is CEO of MMA Global, an international trade association for marketers, and author of What Sticks, Why Most Advertising Fails and How to Guarantee Yours Succeeds. In the show notes for this episode at leadinglearning.com slash episode 387, you'll find a link to the MMA Global website and to Greg's profiles on social media. Jeff and I would be grateful if you would rate the Leading Learning Podcast on whatever platform you use to listen, especially if you find the show valuable, because your ratings help us show up when people search for content on leading a learning business. And please spread the word about Leading Learning, whether in a one-on-one -on -one conversation with a colleague, a personal email, or on social media. In the show notes at leadinglearning.com slash episode 387, you'll find links to connect with us on X, LinkedIn, and Facebook. Thanks for listening and see you next time on the Leading Learning Podcast. Mm -hmm.